My name is Pastor Adam. Many of you know me. Uh, normally, uh, I'm kind of more behind the scenes. I normally sit in the back with headphones in and a phone. And I've convinced Ryan that I just watch, I watch the live stream every Sunday. And I check on the live stream and make sure that everything sounds good. So I just sit in the back with headphones in and just kind of every Sunday watch it. So if you don't know who I am or you don't see me, I'm kind of behind the scenes. That's kind of what I am and what I do. I'm not trying to be rude. I'm not trying to be anything. But normally I just don't hear you. I have headphones in and it's noise canceling. And, and everything's about seven seconds behind what you guys are seeing. So while you guys are up here live, seven seconds later, I'll laugh at the same joke. And it's awkward or... I'll shout amen, and there's nothing to amen. You guys are just, so that's kind of me. I sit in the back. Now in the now fancy booth, I can probably hide better in the booth. Sometimes I go into a classroom out there so no one can, no one really knows what I'm doing. But that's that's me. You might wonder, who's the guy with the good-looking beard? That's just me. My name's Adam. <laughs> but um, Pastor Ryan last week started the series called Vivid, and this series is going to lead up through Easter. And he, he was he asked me to do it this week. I've, uh, I get to preach maybe once every six, seven months here. Um, so I love it. I take the opportunity. It's rusty. I feel bad for the people in the first service because I stumble through that one. And I'm like, ah, now I know how to speak again. And then second service, I'm not saying it's going to be good, but you guys are getting my best. So <laughs> it's going to be C minus maybe. But it's still passing. That's kind of how I lived my life in, in school past. But, um, you know, we grew up, um, not, no, we grew up, sorry. I got married. I grew up and got married. That's important. But we've been married 15 years. Me and Jessica, she sits in the, she sits in the back to hide from me. But uh, we've been married 15 years. And for the first 13 years of our marriage, we had like a 28-inch TV with a DVD player on the side. Probably when we bought this TV, I forget how much it cost, but it probably was expensive. Definitely to us, we, were, we got married in college. We were poor. Everyone was poor in college, so you don't realize how poor you are until you get out of college, and then you get in the, in the life with people that actually have jobs, and you're like, oh, man, I'm really poor. But we realized we were poor. So we had this TV, but we had this TV for from Ohio to Pennsylvania to Tennessee to Georgia. We've had this TV everywhere, and this TV kind of was our TV. But everyone hated this TV because – it was 28 inches, not HD. It was horrible. People didn't come over to watch games. You couldn't really see the TV. It was just bad TV. My father-in-law, who is a, is a big sports fan, a huge Ohio State fan, would always come down. And normally he was here during when Ohio State would be playing an important game, a football game. And he hated watching the TV so much that one father – not Father's Day, one – Black Friday, he called us up and said, hey, I bought you a new TV, go to Best Buy. So we go to Best Buy, and it's like a new TV. It's like, you know, a 55-inch smart TV, and we're like, oh, great. So we plug it in, we get home, plug it in, do all this stuff, we turn it on. We take the old TV, we put it in our bedroom, like, that's going to be great, we'll have a TV in our bedroom, put, plug that TV and get it all set up, and we turn on this new TV. And then all of a sudden, we see the difference between the new TV now, we can see everyone. We're like, I didn't know that person was that old. Or, man, this is, man, these, these people, their shirts are wrinkly. They need to iron their shirt. And we realized quickly, like, oh, there's a big difference between my 28-inch TV in the bedroom and this TV out here. And we go in the bedroom. I turn the TV on in there. I'm, like, looking at the TV. I'm like, 
this TV is just not going to work anymore. We, we, I promise you, turn the TV off, and we've never turned the TV back on. I don't. The TV is probably just in the garage somewhere. But we had this new TV, and it was great, and we loved this TV. And but normally, um, but now it's a TV for the kids. And what really happened is my son Eli, our middle child, was playing cars one day, and he threw a car off a ramp, I think off a couch, into this TV, smash, shattered the TV. Eli's crying. It, life's over for him. He thinks in his head that it's going to be a bad day. He, Jessica calls me, does what a good wife does, just warns me, hey, it was an accident. Do not freak out. Do not get mad. So he gets on the phone, tells me what he did. He did. I get mad, what, what I would do. But I didn't yell at him. I, I felt like, yes, good father moment. Did not freak out at him. Like, you know, every person's had that moment. Like, yes. I was a good parent at this moment. I could have been bad, but I was not. And that was me. We, we, thank God it was right after the first stimulus check happened. Don't pay for bills. Go buy the new TV. So we go buy a bigger TV. Like we're like, this TV is great, but what a bigger TV would be even better. So we went out and bought like a 65-inch TV, all the bells and whistles and everything. And we realized like we could just never go back. We could never go back to a TV that's not – HD that doesn't 1080p. We can never go back to a TV that doesn't have all the apps on there. I can't throw my catch my phone to it. We just can't go back. That's just life is not that way anymore. And I think in the Bible, as we talk about Jesus and we look at the series, that's kind of everyone that ran into Jesus. They just hit this moment where like life's different now. We just can't go back to the same old way. Even if they tried to, they just realized life is different. It's just. That's kind of how it is throughout Scripture. We look at, you know, disciples in, in Luke, they're, they're mad. Jesus is kicked out of a, a town, and they say, Jesus, I got this. Let's call fire down from heaven. Let's burn up this town. Jesus is like, man, let's, let's not do that. It's not, it's not who we are. Like, what? And then you, again, you see Jesus with the Beatitudes. He makes it harder for them. They're like, oh, whoa, Jesus, I can, I can do the Ten Commandments. That's fine. I don't commit murder. I've not done this. Jesus said, well, if you ever had anger in your heart towards your brother, you've already committed murder. Like, what? Over and over and over again, Jesus just kind of flips the script, changes the game on these people, and makes it hard, makes it impossible for them to leave without remembering the time they met him, remembering that moment. And I think for you and for me, if we just look through life, I think there's probably moments in your life that you just will always remember. If it's meeting a celebrity, if it's meeting someone important, you just always remember that moment. Life is different. And I, I, you know, even if there's bad moments in your life, you just remember, like, I remember this time at this place, this is what was said to me, and this is what happened. I, for me, a very moment was the day I had my first surgery for cancer, the doctor came into my room. It was, like, early. I mean, we was, like, 6 in the morning. We were there at 4, all the prep, everything. And he said, I have an experimental procedure I can do for your leg. The only thing is you will not lose your leg if this works. If you if it doesn't work, you'll lose your leg. We're like, well, what's the other option? He's like, well, we're just gonna, you're going to lose your leg. We're like, well, let's try the experiment. Let's go for it. And we did. At that moment, that changed the game for me because it was I was going to lose my leg at 16. And then he came in and he said, I have this experimental thing. Let's try it. And my, I was 16 or 17. My mom had to sign the waiver. I remember that. My mom had to sign the waiver saying, yes, he can do this thing. And it, but it changed it because I didn't lose my leg at that moment. 
and it, it just everything was different. And I think for you and for me, we have these moments. We probably all have these things that just change everything for us. And we're going to look today. We're going to look at uh, a story in John, and I'm not going to read it because I read it at first service, and it was horrible, and uh, it's in my head, so I'm just going to tell you the story. And you can look it up and read it yourself. Homework. John chapter 8, verse 1 to 11 is Jesus. And this is a story where Jesus is alone for the first time, in, or for a time I can't really remember in Scripture. Jesus doesn't have his disciples with him. They're somewhere else. They all went home for a minute. Jesus is alone. He's, he goes to the temple. He leaves the Mount Olives. He goes to the temple, and he's teaching. He's teaching people. And all of a sudden, the Pharisees and scribes show up with a woman that they say committed adultery. They, they, and they say they're here to trap Jesus and convince and get Jesus to say the wrong thing. So they, we all know the story. This is a famous story. So they go out. Jesus is riding in the ground. He's all this stuff. And then they ask Jesus, what are you going to do? This woman deserves to be stoned. What are you going to do? Jesus says, you know, he who hasn't sinned cast the first stone. And from the oldest to the youngest, they all drop the rocks. And they walk away. Then he, he goes to the woman. He says, where's everyone at? She says, they're all gone. He says, go and sin no more. Now, that's a very condensed version of the story, but you can read it again. John 8, 1 through 11. Um, I did have it up there, but we're not going to try to read it. But um, today I want to look at the three people. I want to look at the woman. I want to look at the crowd. I want to look at Jesus. And we're going to kind of break down certain things that I feel like we've learned. I can learn from from the story. And I always like looking at exegetical work, just kind of taking the scripture for itself and it, its own context and seeing what I can learn there. So first we're going to look at the woman. And, and little is known about this woman we don't, we don't have a name. We don't know where she's from. We don't know anything about her. We don't actually know if this is true. We don't have no idea about her other than uh, her her sin. And I, I for me, I, I would hate to be known for my worst action. I would hate to be known for that. And I, I mean, if, if it gets put on blast, and this is why I am so glad I grew up in an age before social media because, man, oh, man, stuff would have been put out there that probably would have I would lost my job or lost a lot of friends probably family i remember i had a one of my cousins she she was a lot older than me and right when facebook came out and she said adam she's like you know companies look at facebook to see if you're a good fit and i was like no that's not true she's like no they do and i was like okay let's start deleting everything off this thing and we started just you know deleting stuff off of facebook now this is way a long time ago so don't judge me but we don't know anything about this one. We know nothing about her. In fact, she only says three things. She says they're all gone or they're not here. But what, what the context is, and when I look at this, is not what she said to Jesus, but what Jesus says to her. He, he says this profound statement to her. He says, go and sin no more. And what, what, for me, the thing I learned from this and what I, what I want us to understand is this, that mercy requires holiness, not perfection. And, and what is, we have a, a requirement as Christians to live a life that's holy, to live a life that's set apart, to be different. When you accept the grace and mercy of God, you are accepting to live a different life than the rest of the world. You're, you're accepting to believe a different standard. You're accepting to believe something and do something different. And what I, what I think the easiest way to change this world is for you just to be different than the world. Because they're going to look at you and say, why, are you, why do you have peace in the midst of chaos? Why do you have love when I'm so angry? Why do you forgive when I'm so spiteful? And, and they're over and over and over again, they're going to look at you and you're going to be different. And for us, and for me, for most of my life growing up as a, as a Christian and going back and forth, my, my, my goal was to live as close to a 
normal life as possible, but still love Jesus. To, to walk that line. To, well, I didn't sin today, but I was close. To walk that line, just to, to be just as close. And never really try, but just enough to get into heaven. I don't know if that makes sense to some of you, but in my head it makes just enough. Just enough to get to heaven. To walk that line. But I'm convinced of this. If, if, we, if we're Christians, we're called to be different. We're called to be set apart. And, and what, I, what I want, I want to encourage us is to be different. Now, again, I'm not saying grab your Bible and go sit at lunch and, and make everyone read with you. But I'm saying you, your lifestyle should reflect something different. Your lifestyle should be different. The second, the second is the crowd. The crowd is made up of, the Bible says, scribes and Pharisees, and then the people that Jesus was teaching. Again, this is a, a tricky situation because they're trying to trap Jesus. Again, Deuteronomy 22 lays out the law of what should happen to this woman. And the it says in Deuteronomy 22, I think 22, 22, it says the woman and the man that's committed in adultery should be found guilty, if they're found guilty, and then stoned. That's, that's according to Deuteronomy 22, 22. So they knew, the crowd knew that they were actually breaking the law because they didn't have the man there. They knew that they were trying to trap Jesus. This wasn't a rightful case. This wasn't real according to Jewish law. But they didn't matter. And, and I think for you and for me, I think as social media gets loud and the news gets loud and life gets loud, we must understand the loudest voice doesn't determine what is right. And I, I don't mean that even on a, on a political level or social level, but even just on a personal level. You know, there are times in my life that, man, if you catch me at the wrong time or without coffee or early in the morning, the loudest voice in my head you do not want to hear. If you, ca if you cut me off in traffic, I want to just tap, tap your bumper. I can spin you out. I think I've, I've watched it on TV enough. I can hit you enough to go. It's just life. We, me and Jessica lived in Pennsylvania for a, a long time. We lived near uh, Mennonites. And there's different uh, classes or sex of Mennonites, and they have different things. Some of them drive cars. Some of them do horse and buggy. And if you get caught behind the horse and buggy people, you just want to sh you just, I don't know, you just, you just, they're slow. You want them to go and, and just, and they're nice, and they, they wave at you, but you just, just want to say, just get out of the way. Just hit up, open the door, and just kind of tap the horse. You know, just get him to move. But sometimes the loudest voice is not always the right voice in, in life. And I think if, if you're like me, there's times you struggle, and, and the, the voice in your head tells you to do something, but you, just have, you have to know right from wrong. I think that's the importance of actually knowing what the Scripture says, knowing the Bible, knowing what right from wrong, because in that time, you guys have to know it, because the loudest voice is not always right. My, my old youth pastor, one of like the four I had, made the comment. She said, she said, you have to know what you're doing before you get in that situation. You have to make that plan before you go. You have to, before you go to the party, you have to know what you're going to do. Before getting in the car with those people, you have to know what you're going to do. And you have to know it because once you're in that situation, you're going to make the wrong choice most of the time. You're just going to do it. You know, if I'm stressed out about life and I have to make a decision, I'm going to make a decision based off of stress. If I come into that situation with prayer, with, with understanding I'm going to make a decision based off peace and based, on, based off of God. And I, I think understanding that is important, but the loudest voice doesn't always determine what is right. And the second thing is this about this crowd is this. You see them all dropping the stones, and God doesn't judge the level of our sins. 
they all admitted at that point when they're dropping to that they had sin in their life. They had something wrong with them. And God doesn't look at her adultery worse, worse off than whatever it was in their life and it was hidden. But for you and for me, we do. We look at other people and say, well, they did this and I've done this. Well, I'm not that bad. So, that, you know, and you judge yourself based off of their sins. And again, we go back to the woman, man, what if your worst sin was made public? It's kind of like Pastor Ryan's talked about doubting Thomas before. Man, what? That's a horrible, he doubted one time in the Bible, he doubts God, and he's known for doubting Thomas the rest of his life. That's just a poor doubting Thomas. Bad luck on him. But for you and for me, it's the same thing, man. What if your worst moment is known forever? What if that happened? And, and, God doesn't look at sin differently. Sin is sin. And for you and for me, I understand there's, there's levels and there's things, and I, I under, we have to be careful. But sin separates you no matter what it is from God. So we look at other people, and I think it's e- when we stop judging other people based on what they do, it's easier to love people. It's easier to look at people and say, I have grace and I have compassion for that person because they're no different than me. But I know if you're like me, we put people in boxes. Well, you don't know who they are. You don't know what they do. You didn't know, you didn't know them. And you, so you separate yourself from them. It's like, well, I'm a little bit better. I'm this and that. I can't talk to that person. I can't do this because of them. And you, you kind of separate yourself. And the, the last one is Jesus. Jesus is the, the center point of the gospel, center point of the Bible. And, and again, we're coming up to Easter. We're coming up to the, the the Super Bowl for churches, if we think of it in that way. Jesus casually is riding on the ground, and he's scribbling, I've heard all the things about, what, what was he writing on the ground? Was he writing their sins on the ground? I don't know if you've heard that, but what was he writing their sins on the ground? Probably not. He probably wasn't calling out other people their sins. God, was, God wouldn't have, his grace wouldn't make other people feel shameful in that moment. But he was riding on the ground, and he he. We don't know what he was writing. He was thinking. He was doing these things. But just him standing up and him, his simple sentence about them and their sins changed the game. And they left different. And what what, what I want us to understand is, is forgiveness is dealing with a person's mess without disregarding the person. Jesus, over and over and over again, went after the people that the world disregard if the person had leprosy if they were sick if they were hurting if they were you know the he said he was a friend of the drunker and he was a he, he was a drunker and a friend of the prostitute the bible even says it was worse than that he hung out with tax collectors he over and over and over again he did he went after the worst case scenario in that culture and he, he didn't disregard people and for you and for me the people i know i know for me the people that have made the most change in my life are the ones that could separate the, my mess from who I was. Because growing up, I was a mess. Growing up, I was a disaster, and I was a, a tick, ticking time bomb for most people. I mean, I went to a, a small Christian school, and I remember, I remember the days that the teachers would publicly just pray for my salvation in front of them. I didn't ask for it to get saved. It wasn't like, hey, I want to get saved today. They're like, nope, we're going to make sure he gets saved. Lord, save him. And they just publicly would pray that my life would get changed. And I would, then I would go to the principal and be embarrassed and get the teacher in trouble. And I was just a jerk. I was a horrible person. And it was just, I, I was a ticking time bomb for a lot of people. 
But the people that affected my life the most are the ones that said, I can, I can push away your mess. I can push away all this stuff, and I can find you. There's an Adam in there. I remember the, the, the most profound thing that I remember ever happening to me in church was my youth pastor at the time. And this, I'm ashamed to even say it. This was me dressed in, like, all black. I had, like, big Jinko jeans on. Does anyone remember those? Like, my, I had, like, bracelets up, to up the thing, spikes on. Probably had eyeliner on. Definitely nail polish on. Um, um, long, like... Long, I have pictures, but they're not coming. <laughs> and long um, wallet chains, like three or four wallet chains. And uh, sometimes my hair would be in rubber bands, spiked up, like like Pinhead, if you think of Pinhead. Like um, one time we sun it, you know what sun in is? You remember? We sun in it and, ble- and, r- and like melted the rubber bands. And I couldn't get them out. That was a disaster. Um, but that's not what the point right now. The point was I dress like that. Every Sunday, my mom would tell me to take all the stuff off. I would take it off, put it in my pocket, and then when I get to church, I'd put it on. So, um, and every Wednesday night, it was, we were fighting. But I remember, I would go to, I went to this church for the Potter's House growing up in, and I didn't have, I had a couple friends, but not really. Um, definitely into a lot of the things I shouldn't have been into. But the youth pastor at the time just stopped me. And stopped the whole service, and he looked at me, and he said, Adam, I, I love you. I want you here. And no one, wa- I felt like no one wanted me here. Like, I mean, like, I brought drugs and alcohol to youth group. Like, I was the perfect person to get kicked out of youth group, and they had every reason to do that. But he said, I want you here. I want you to be with me. And I didn't want to be with him. I didn't want to be here. My mom made me, but I, I was there. But at that moment, to him, I had value. And he pushed aside everything. He pushed aside my mess. He pushed aside everything I was. And he said, I see something in you. I want something for you. And he found the thing. And I think Jesus over and over and over again, for you and for me, pushes aside our mess to find who we are. I think we forget to do that for other people. We forget to push aside people's mess. And again, man, that, that is scary because you know what? You get saying, I walk today and I got a stain on my shoe. I have white shoes. I got stains. Now I'm annoyed. Just walk going outside. I got mud on my shoe. But that's what happens when you go outside when it's raining. And you, when you deal with people, you're going to get dirty. You're going to. And now there's a difference of getting dirty and being dirty. There's a difference of saying, hey, I am with you, and I'm going to deal with your stuff, and saying, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this with you. There's a, there's a difference in those two things. Jesus is a good example of saying, I'm going to love the sinner but hate the sin. We, we talk about it a lot. But Jesus walks that line of saying, listen, I can deal with your mess as long as you let me deal with you. And for you and for me, I I, I think sometimes we forget how messed up we were. We forget our mess. We forget the stuff that stopped us. And for you, there's some of us that still have that mess. We're still dealing with that stuff. There's things in my life that pop up every once in a while. like, oh, it's back. You, You know, there's certain things that you just deal with. But we've, I think we forget stuff. There's, there's situations sometimes as pastors we talk about, and some pastors are like, no, I, I just don't want to deal with that. I, I can't deal with it. I don't want them here. I don't want to deal with that situation. And we just forget that people are messy. People, people are stressful. I mean, if you deal with people, sometimes we're not fun. Sometimes you're not fun. Sometimes I'm not fun. But that's just life. No, don't be offended, please. You can email Ryan. 
but ultimately it's this. If Trent and Raina can come up and we'll close out soon, but ultimately it's this. We look at we look at stories like this, and Pastor Ryan will talk some more about this stuff. And Jesus changed everything, I think, because he, he was very good at dealing with people. And I I said this in the first service in this. I think there's two signs, two different types of Christians. There's Christians that just want to get to heaven. And that's you, great. You're here. I'm glad. But there are also Christians that understand that you're called to change your world. You're called to be a difference. You're called to do that. And if that's who you want to be, you have to understand that you're going to deal with people. And you're going to deal with the mess of people. And it's okay. It's okay to, to help people. It's okay to forgive. And I think forgiveness is one of the toughest things. What I hope, and I know what, the, what Pastor Ryan hopes is, that we become a church that goes after people. It goes after people and says, you're, you're welcome here. We love you. We want you. We want to help you. Uh, I don't want us to be a people that have to sit on the pews on Sundays and chairs on right along with what Pastor Adam was just talking about. And it's just one of those songs that when I hear it, it just, I need to let it soak in because I have been at different points in my life. I've been the one that Jesus has had to leave the 99. 